Hello, my gorgeous angels, and or beautiful beans, I should say, or a combination of the two. And welcome to today's episode. So this episode is something that I've kind of been wanting to do for ages, and I just kept, to be honest, forgetting. And I had this big, I've got a thing in my notes app in my phone, and it is like this, the longest list of episode ideas, brainstorming kind of just like dot points, things for brain facts. It's like a a labyrinth, a never-ending fucking story in that little folder in my apps app. And it is just, anyway, long story short, I was trawling through it to be like, hey, maybe I've put down ideas for episodes that I never ended up doing and they're just way up in this massive list. And I found this one, so I'm really excited. And I think it's something that if you do suffer from anxiety, this will hopefully help, okay? So it's all about intuition, knowing what it is, knowing what it feels like and how to differentiate it from anxiety slash fear or a mix of the two. Because when it comes to intuition, it's something that in most cases slash if not in every case, you want to be able to use. It should be something that's going to benefit you. And if you're someone that suffers from a lot of anxiety, whether it's an actual mood disorder anxiety or whether you just have a lot of anxiety, generalized anxiety, but you've not been treated for it at all, you don't have any kind of treatment plan to follow, irrelevant. If you're someone that's got a lot of anxiety, you might be in a position where you're like, God, when people talk about a gut feeling, I've had a gut feeling before and that feels like anxiety. It's like a pit in my stomach and it's fucked. So it's kind of like, how do you know the difference? Because anxiety around something, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down what anxiety is and all the things around it. And then I'm going to be speaking about what exactly intuition is and how to know the difference. And then I'm going to talk about if you are anxious, how to actually really be able to separate the feelings of anxiety versus the feelings of intuition. So I'm going to explain what things are. I'm going to explain the difference of the things. And then I'm going to be giving you some kind of ways to either think about something or some like tiny exercises to put into practice. So you can feel a lot better about leaning into intuition and then not leaning too heavily into anxiety. All right, good times. Little bit of a life update. Look, not much because of pre-record. I am currently, as we speak, pre-recording this a few days out from my trip, like I said in another episode. So there isn't actually too much of a life update because it's all fucking happening as you're listening to this. And I'm in either LA or New York, depending when this episode goes live. So can I just say I'm so excited about this trip can't believe I've never been to New York. I need a bagel. I need a hot dog of the streets. I need it, it. Most of this is going to revolve around food, but all of the foods and all of the activities. Anyway, I'm just so thrilled, so happy, happy to be here. Well, I'm in Australia right now, but happy to be in the States when I get there. And yeah, thrilled if I see any of the beans, I'll just I'll pass out. I will be zoning in and out of consciousness with excitement if I meet some global beans. Anyway, less rambling and more doing. So I am going to do a brain fact. We're going to do a brain fact now. Then we're going to get into the topic of today's episode. And of course, we are then going to proceed with a listener question. All right, brain fact. All right, the brain fact of today. So this brain fact is going to be short and sweet, but I wanted to cover the topic of Ozempic, also known as semaglutide, which I'm going to go into in a sec. But basically Ozempic is a, it's a drug 
that is used for diabetes to treat diabetes, but has also gained a lot of popularity for and where people have been using it for weight loss purposes. And it is even approved in a lot of countries for to be prescribed for weight loss. Okay. And I'm going to explain why that is. And I don't know about, I know that in a lot of countries in the US and Australia for a while, there was a shortage of this Ozempic for, you know, just in general. And a lot of diabetics were struggling to get a hold of this Ozempic because there was like a surge of popularity for this drug for weight loss purposes. Because apparently I didn't say it, but apparently it was like full trending on TikTok. So let's talk about what it is What's the deal? So Ozempic, it's a brand name for a drug called semaglutide. And so the the generic actual, the drug component of it is semaglutide. And there's other brand names. Ozempic is like the popular one that everyone's been talking about. How does it work for diabetes and why is weight loss a side effect? Okay, so basically this is a drug. It's only available by via prescription. It is an injectable drug. You inject it once a week or roughly around that, whatever your GP instructs you to do so. And so it's an injectable glucagon-like peptide. I'm going to call it GLP-1. Well, not just me. That's what it's called. GLP-1 is the shortened version of glucagon-like peptide. It's a receptor agonist. I'll go into that in a second, to help improve glycemic control for people with type 2 diabetes. So it's turning, when you talk about an agonist, you're basically um, turning up the function of what is happening at the receptor. So when you talk about an antagonist, you're basically blocking or reversing or kind of doing the opposite of what that, what the job of the binding side of that receptor is doing. But here it's an agonist, okay? So it's positively enforcing what's going on at that binding site. So receptor agonist to help improve glycemic control for people with type 2 diabetes. It's turning up the function of what's happening. If it is injected subcutaneously, so that means just under the skin, and you can do that either in the thigh, stomach area, or arm. So what is it? GLP is a hormone that we endogenously produce. It's produced in the body, and it's produced in the gut, and it's released in response to when food is ingested. So when you eat food, your gut recognizes that and then it releases this hormone called GLP-1. It um, recognizes this, gets released, and then it's going to help reduce your appetite because it's, it's you know, noticed that food's ent- entered the gut, reduce your appetite, and more importantly, it's going to release insulin or help in releasing insulin as insulin helps the blood sugar enter the cells of the body so it can be used as a source of energy or it can be used to store that energy for later. When you take a Zempic, it binds to the receptor of GLP-1, which is the naturally produced hormone within your gut. So it binds to the receptor for GLP-1 and it encourages this insulin release from the pancreas when you need it. So if it's basically getting you to release insulin and that's why it's so important for diabetics, right? And then because of this stimulated insulin release, it's going to help then lower your blood sugar levels. It's going to help reduce the amount of sugar that your liver releases. And it's also going to slow down the rate that that food leaves your stomach. And by doing this, it's going to help like stop or prevent these spikes in your blood sugar. So really, really important for diabetics, of course, because of that insulin interaction with the body. Side effects of Ozempic are bloating. There's a whole bunch of side effects and some are really common, some are quite rare. But bloating, gas and stomach discomfort, heartburn, yellow skin and eyes. That's a little bit rarer, but that is a side effect. Um, Not in every case, obviously. Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea or constipation. And in some rarer cases, hair loss and also loss of taste or change of taste. 
Um, and then there are some possible changes to your face um, and the fat in your face because sometimes the fat in your face reduces dramatically so it causes the skin to look, you know, different or, or looser or whatever, less full. And then in some rare cases, depending on maybe some other conditions that the patient might have, uh, kidney damage, but that's not a common side effect. So why does it cause weight loss? So basically by Im it's imitating what the natural hormone GLP-1 does. So it helps create this feeling of fullness and satiety without having to eat, eat so much food. And GLP-1 is normally triggered by – so normally you can create your own release of GLP-1. That's the point of it by, you know – it's triggered by amino acids and peptides and simple sugars. And this is stuff that you eat in a normal, healthy, balanced diet. So if you're eating a really healthy, balanced diet with good fats like avocados and nuts and, you know, um, clean protein sources like eggs or high fiber foods such as veggies, then you're get this, going to get this good pattern of release of GLP-1, which is going to make you feel full or that feeling of satiety. If you have a diet that's not high in these things, then the the release of GLP-1 may not be as strong and therefore you're going to be always searching for more foods. You're going to feel hungry. You're not going to feel as satisfied. So that's why normally you yourself will notice that if you eat a really nutritious meal, you feel more satisfied versus something which is deemed as quote unquote empty calories, which doesn't actually mean anything. But this idea of you've eaten, but you don't feel satisfied. So then you want to eat again because whatever, you're not feeling this fullness from that food. So that's what naturally triggers the release or the creation of GLP-1. So you can just trigger it naturally. However, for a lot of people, especially diabetics, they need to supplement with Ozempic. So as you can see, if it's causing you to feel full or it's causing you to feel satisfied a lot quicker, then you're by default going to eat less. And that is why it causes weight loss. It just makes you want to eat less. But the issue with that is that like a lot of weight loss interventions, especially when you look at medication for weight loss, the moment you get off that drug, it does absolutely fuck all and you, you know, your weight is back to where it was. Being on these drugs for weight loss should only be done in what I believe to be quite serious cases after you've tried a lot of different things and it should be obviously done with the guidance of your GP, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But keep in mind that there are certain people that will take a Zempic and gain weight, okay? So another side effect of it is that it doesn't actually work how you want it to work. Like a lot of people, a lot of drugs will only work in a percentage of the population and not at all or have the opposite effects with another percentage of the population. And every time Ozempic is prescribed, the doctors will enforce quite a – well, should, I should say, GPs should be enforcing quite a strict – um, diet and exercise regime to go alongside it. And this goes for if you are a diabetic as well, not just if you're taking it for weight loss purposes, but due to this feeling of fullness, whatever, your GP will want you to also stick to quite a healthy diet plan. So you're not, you know, not eating enough and things like that. So that is the brain fact of today, Ozempic. Hopefully that clarifies why it is that some people have been taking Ozempic for weight loss. It is purely an appetite suppressant from a weight loss perspective. It does a lot more for people with diabetes, but if it's purely for weight loss, what is achieving is appetite suppression. So I feel like, anyway, not going to give my advice. I've got my thoughts and opinions, but basically like, yeah, if you don't have to take it, absolutely do not fucking take it is basically how I feel about it. Cool. That is the brain fact of today. Okay, so let's get right into the topic of today. Intuition, what is it? Why? How? 
what are we talking about? So your intuition is your body's reaction to something, okay? But when do you know if it's a real warning sign, a red flag, you know, sirens going off, or instead an intuitive push to do something and to action something, something pulling you or pushing you saying, no, no, you've got to take action on this thing. Or when do you know if when it's conditioned anxiety telling you to run when you're not in a situation of danger or, you know, sometimes we have this intu- intuitive thing being like, do not fucking go down there versus anxiety of like, oh, my God, going there makes me feel awful. I've got all these like physical reaction in my body that's like, you know, brewing inside me telling me not to go. How do you know the difference? How do you get to a point when you can trust your intuition and know when you shouldn't be going to a certain thing or talking to a certain person versus this fearful stress of like, ah, oh, I don't want to be talking to this person, okay? And you also want to get to a point where you're not overreacting fearfully to situations and then blocking you from experiencing things and then making calculated risks. So there's a whole, we've got to figure out and pull it all apart and pull the two things apart so we can feel more comfortable with what our anxiety is telling us to do or not do versus what our intuition is telling us to do or not to do. And we don't want to confuse conditioned fear and anxiety for what we believe is a gut instinct telling us to do or not do something or telling us that something's a bad idea to step away, okay? I also want to cover how to get better at listening to your gut when your body is telling you to go for a good thing. And the importance of leaning into that and the importance of learning how to listen to your body. Because the more you lean into these intuitions and these signals and signs and messages and statements that your physical body is telling you, the more you do that, the easier it's going to be for you to to identify when your instinct is kicking in and to hear your instinctive self you know, say something to you, hear what it has to say. You get better and better at picking up on these subtle things and then your instincts are going to creep in a lot more often and help you with a lot of things. We've just become really, really good in this society, just as humans, at ignoring what our body has to tell us, whether it's a health thing or whether it's instincts, okay? And a lot of the reason for that is because we live in a world or life or whatever you want to call it, where we are constantly entertained or distracted, constantly. The thought of just sitting there and doing something in silence is just quite quite bizarre for a lot of people. Or the thought of just, you know, if you were to do your laundry without music or without a podcast, it's like, oh, well, that's like, why not? Why not entertain myself while I'm doing something mundane? So we don't often have moments of just stillness and silence apart from maybe when we're intentionally meditating, of just being, you know, where you're not necessarily meditating. And those are the times where you're more likely to have these thoughts and these realizations and these awakenings and these intuitive feelings, okay? So I'm going to be talking about that. But first, number one, we're going to separate what is anxiety and then what is intuition. So that way it's easier to compare the two and break them apart. Anxiety. So anxiety is normally where there is a fear or a worry about something that's happening in the future, okay? Or something that may happen that you don't want to happen. Or it could be something that you've come across, information that you've come across or read, and then you're fearing how it's going to impact your life. So for example, another cause of anxiety that's not necessarily in the future is if you read a really bad review that someone left about something that you've done, whether it's a work review, whether it's um, 
you know, if you're a podcaster and someone writes a terrible review, a book review, whatever, someone comments on your work or something about you or your physical appearance and it makes you, you get this horrible wave of anxiety, but that anxiety, even though it's something that's already been done and said, that anxiety could be causing you to feel imposter syndrome, that you're not good enough and how is that then going to impact how other people perceive you and then how are you going to approach your work moving forward knowing that people have said this horrible thing about you. So it's still kind of includes the future in the sense of like, what does this mean for me, for me now? I'm an imposter. I can't do this anymore. I can't freely be podcasting now that people have said this horrible thing about me or writing or whatever. Okay. So that's kind of anxiety. Anxiety, feelings of anxiety normally repeat themselves as well in general. So you notice some sort of a pattern. It's not the same thing for every person, of course. Some people have social anxiety. Some people have performance anxiety. There's all sorts of things. But for example, in social scenarios or when you don't get a reply for someone or where you think that someone is upset with you, it's kind of a pattern of a similar feeling when that same thing happens. Anxiety is also normally triggered by similar things in a similar pattern. Okay, so it's unlikely, although possible if something has triggered it, but unlikely that you're really, really social, everything's going really well, and then all of a sudden you get this bout of social anxiety and then it just goes away. So it's normally a pattern and it's normally repetitive in general. Okay, and it can come in waves and it can go. So, you know, like if you're in a really stressful environment, the chances of you feeling anxious are higher, et cetera, but it's normally for something in the future and it's normally repetitive. And it can be for really, really small things as well, like a comment or a text that you might have interpreted the wrong way. Someone gives a thumbs up instead of answering, yep, cool. And then you think, wow, they're really pissed off about me and they're being passive aggressive. And it sets off this whole array of negative feelings, downward spirals, all of that. So anxiety also makes it really hard for you to make intuitive decisions. It blocks you from knowing what's an intuitive decision and it kind of paralyzes you because everything becomes fear-based. It makes everything harder to feel, it makes it harder to be confident on anything or to trust people or to trust strangers depending on what kind of anxiety you have. So getting good at knowing the difference between anxiety and intuition is going to help you trust situations better. Now, let's talk about intuition. Intuition is defined, so there's a few definitions, but I looked it up and it is defined as the ability to understand something instinctively without need for conscious reasoning. Or another way of putting it is the ability to acquire knowledge about something without recourse to reasoning or needing an explanation. So it's a feeling, it's this sense of knowing that you should or shouldn't do something or that something is good or that something is bad or that something's not right. It's a hunch. Okay. So that is intuition. And you might have subconsciously picked up a behavior in someone and you can't put your finger on it and you can't put it into words, but it's this knowing that they're not a good person. And you feel really awkward saying it to someone else because people say, why, why do you think that? And then, then you're like, I feel like a fucking dickhead, but I fucking can't tell you. I don't know. I feel it. We've all been there. Okay. That's intuition. For some people, what happens with intuition is that you notice a trait in that person that reminds you of a trait, of a bad person. So it's not saying that when you feel it, when you have this intuitive hunch that someone's a bad person, it's not, it's not saying they're fucking bad, they're a bad apple, they're rotten, get rid of them in your lives. Not at all. But you might have noticed something in them 
that reminds you of someone that was actually quite a bad person and then you're like, oh, um, that's a warning flag for me. That's a, it's a warning sign. It's a red flag. Or another example of this is like you might get home one day and you might have, you know, without realizing, picked up on some subtle differences about when you enter your home and before you even open the door, you just know that someone's been there or that someone's broken in even before you see obvious signs of it. So it's also this feeling where you know not to walk down a certain street and I'm not talking about a creepy alleyway in the middle of the night. I'm talking about you might be going down the street and for whatever reason you think, "Mm, I'm going to go down this way and you just follow instinct to do it and you don't know why. You know, we've all had that feeling before or something similar to it. Um, You might have the feeling that something's just not sitting right or the opposite, the feeling that you have to do something, that you have to take action. And when people question you about it, you think, look, I don't know why, but I have to go there. I have to do this trip or I have to agree to meet this person, you know, or you have to enter that store. You're walking past it. You're like, "Mm, I'm getting pulled. I've got to go. You know, you've got to read that book on the shelf that's been sitting at your grandparents' home forever and you're just like, no, I need to grab that book and read it. That is instinct. So that is the difference. Instincts are a lot more unique. They feel very – it's not like a pattern that you're always feeling all the time. That's the difference between anxiety. It's kind of this unique feeling that you're like, hmm, that's a different thought that I've had. Let's listen to it, okay? So that's where instinct – is easy to detect. We're also pretty good at ignoring instincts because we sometimes we so badly want something to go a certain way, like you meet someone and they tick all the boxes on paper. And so when you feel this instinctive feeling against that person or the situation at the beginning, you wave it off as something else, being like, oh, I'm just, I'm just scarred and, you know, uh, like I'm just avoidant. It's fine. But deep down you maybe you did have instincts being like, mm, some of these behaviours are not fucking – It's just not sitting right for whatever reason, but you might wave it off because you so badly want something to work out. And it's also, sorry, instinct as well. I didn't say, it's also something happening in the now, okay? Like something's occurred for you to be like, ding, light bulb moment. I'm not going to do that or I'm going to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's relative to what's happening now. So there's been a lot of studies and this is with, you know, science and also psychology and social psychology around instincts and what it is. And The belief, a lot of the beliefs around instinct is that our understanding of our physical body and how our physical body reacts to a stimulus in the moment is what then generates the feeling of an instinct. So it's actually your body that is picking up on something that your conscious attention has not picked up on because we are getting pieces of information entering our brains at a crazy rate. We've even got parts of the brain that actually filter out certain pieces of information because otherwise it'd just be too much and you wouldn't be able to focus on one task at a time. But even that, having said that, there's still so much that's coming in that your conscious awareness is not alerting you about. So because of that, your body is actually bringing in still and filtering through a lot of information that your conscious level of awareness will never know about unless it needs to. And that's instinct. You might feel something. You might hear something or in your peripherals, you might notice something that at the time it's not relevant, but then maybe a little bit later you're like, oh my God, that all makes sense. Now I felt this weird thing and now I'm like, wow, okay, it's all clicking, it's all making sense. And that is your physical body picking up on things, whether it's visual, auditory, smell, touch, whatever 
picking up on certain things that your conscious awareness isn't grasping in an obvious way. And then by listening to your body and the reactions that it has, whether it's that gut feeling of you actually feeling something in your gut or whether it's just some overall feeling, you get better and better at leaning into what your body is trying to tell you. It's trying to tell you a message. And if you're really tuned into your body and you have really good self-awareness of your body, then you can make a lot, like you can make way better decisions for your life based on how you're feeling or the senses or like the senses at hand. Now, can intuition cause anxiety? Yes, it can. So an example of this would be that if you think that you should be doing something and your body is telling you that you shouldn't and it feels off doing that thing or going down to that place, then you start to worry and question why you are avoiding something. You start thinking, oh my God, is this my anxiety? Why don't I want to go there? Am I feeling socially anxious? Am I, you know, what is it? And so this is why it's important to know the difference between the two because if you don't know the difference, you might interpret intuition as anxiety, which then will cause more anxiety. It's going to make you freak out more. It's going to make you be annoyed that you're anxious about that thing and it's going to make you think, should I be worried about this in general, okay? So is it a unique feeling? Is it in the now versus is it something that's in the future or something that will affect your future and is it a pattern of thinking? Okay, so what can you do about it? How do you get better at pulling the two things apart? Uh, it is something that initially you're going to have to question and decide but ultimately you want it to become this natural thing, instinct is exactly what we're talking about. You want it to become this natural intuition. So the best way to start is to take inventory on the few times or the many times in your life where you have felt intuition for something, whether good or bad, and acted upon that. Remember the feeling and remember how it compelled you to respond. Or remember the time where intuition told you something about someone and it was this gut feeling and then later on it turned out to be true. And you think, how the fuck did I know? Because everything that turned out to be true, I actually didn't have actual evidence of that at the time that I had that feeling. So note that down as well. Another thing could be if you have ever felt this intuition and gone against your intuition where you always think, oh, I, can't, I feel I have to do it. No, no, no. And then you shut it down. And then later on, in hindsight, you realize I should have followed my intuition. Write those down too. Just sit down and really start to think, when has intuition worked in my favor? Another good thing to do is to ask your parents or anyone that's known you since you were young, ideally who's an adult, like, I mean, who was an adult when you were a child, because they might be able to know of moments where you had intuition and you don't even remember it and they picked up on it. So an example of this is when I was a child, my parents hired an architect to design a home and I would have been 10 or maybe 11, 11 years old at the time. And they hired this architect. He had like great designs, really good ideas, whatever. And I remember saying after he left to my parents, like Ruben, who was the artist, the fucking architect's name. I'm like, Ruben's a con artist. And they're like, okay, why is this? 11-year-old child jumping to this random conclusion. Anyway, so they proceeded and I kept saying it. I'm like, he's a con artist. He's a con artist. And not, I didn't say it all the time, but I said it a handful of times. 
And I would say it every time he'd come up with an idea and then he'd turn around and then change it for another idea. And I was like, but why would you change it? I just thought it was weird. And he justified it pretty well. And then he turned out – and then when they would say, why do you think he's a con artist? I actually couldn't give them an, a reason. There was no legitimate proper argument that I had. He turned out to be a fucking con artist. He was a fucking – like an actual legit con artist. So – my parents were like, wow, that's so amazing that you picked up on something that we didn't. Or maybe we knew, but we so badly wanted it to work that we were, you know, how adults are really good at like at silencing that inner voice that's so important because we've got other shit to deal with and way more stresses than a child does in general. And so they might have seen these warning signs but silenced it so heavily that it wasn't obvious to them, whereas for a child it was. So – do a bit of an inventory and think. Maybe even as a kid was I instinctive. How did I follow my intuition? Okay, so ask, get information, get, you know, anecdotal stories and, and that way you have a good pattern of understanding what the feeling feels like because you want to remember what it feels like. So that way you're like, oh, now that I identify that feeling, I know it's not anxiety. It's different. The next thing is realize that anxiety also is pretty loud it's quite a loud, overbearing feeling. It's not this subtle, really mellow thing that you're like, oh, easy, I'll just fucking sweep it under the rug for today and I'll address it later. No, it's pretty intense and it's very unpleasant, okay? So intuition is more of a karma knowing. It's more, and it's not saying that it's like pleasant all the time, but it's this deep feeling of like, yep, or no, no. No, no, but it's karma. It's not this like high stress, high intensity, high, you know, this hectic energy that anxiety is. And when you feel this intense emotion set in of anxiety or what you think may be intuition, may be anxiety, then you're not sure, give it a moment before you react on this so-called intuition, okay? If you're not sure, you take a moment and you rest and see if that intensity subsides, okay? Take a few deep breaths, see if that intensity subsides and think, am I reacting to something that I just read or saw that made me stress? Or is there this deeper feeling in me that even though I don't have the clues or the knowledge, I just still feel that I have to do something, not do something or do something? And there's the difference. One will be like I am reacting to a situation. It's causing me a lot of stress and I'm fearing something. It's, it's linked to fear versus no, I, even if I don't have the, the actual knowledge right in front of me, I, I just have this feeling. And it's a lot calmer. It's quieter. It's more subtle. The next thing to do is to try to lean into your intuition for anything at all. So – and it could be, and you could do an exercise of just trying to lean into it in really basic things. When you're taking a walk home, just ask yourself more questions like which way am I going to go? Whichever pops up first, bang, you're going to follow that way. You know, when you're when you're trying to decide on what to watch, whatever kind of oh, it would be nice to just just commit and, fo and follow that through. You can change your mind later, but it's this idea of whenever your body's like, mm, I'm kind of leaning towards this, listen to your body, listen to your body, listen to your body. When you're about to go out and you think, oh, I could really stay at home, if you as long as you're not leaving someone high and dry, you think maybe I'll just stay home tonight. It's just learning to 
tune into what your body's asking for a little bit more. And that might not be direct intuition, but when you learn to listen to your body and what it's asking for, then it becomes very clear when your body has this intuitive um, message to tell you because those signals get louder and we get more in tune with what they sound like, what they look like, what they feel like. So as an exercise, try to lean into these tiny, tiny nudges that your body gives you of what it wants to do. Like there's nothing more annoying than when you knew something and you had the instinct and you silenced it and you pushed it away, you pushed the feeling down. Like sometimes when something turns out or when someone turns out to be an asshole or like a dodgy cunt and you think, I fucking knew it, like I knew it about this person but I never said anything and I never did anything about it. You know, I knew it and then I suffocated that feeling. So because of that, because you suffocated the feeling – the hint, the hints from your body stopped coming. You told your body, nah, I'm going to ignore you on this one. Soz, bro, but I'm not listening to what you have to say. So entertain yourself while I sabotage myself. And then the body stops sending you these messages because you're like, well, it's, you're ignoring me. So I'm just not going to send the messages as loud anymore. It's when you convince yourself of something then your body stops trying to convince you otherwise because you've, you've sent the message a million times through saying, no, nah, I'm going to follow through with this. I'm going to follow through even though I felt that it was wrong. It's a lot easier to listen to or notice an instinctive feeling in retrospect. It's this feeling when you think back and say, fuck, I was right about that person. I was right and I didn't know how to say it in the moment but it, I just it, I didn't feel at ease. Especially like if you never sit in silence and never pause to check how your body's feeling when you feel good versus how your body's feeling when you feel anxious. What are the physical symptoms of that? What are the physical symptoms of physicality when you feel happy versus when you feel sad or when you feel really depleted? Your body is going to feel different in every single different scenario. So it's so important to take the time to pay attention when you're feeling anxious instead of thinking, how do I suffocate this anxiety so I don't feel that you pause and think physically, what am I feeling right now? Note it down. When you're thrilled, pause and think, okay, I'm elated right now. How do I feel? How does my body feel? And how do I know that I'm elated just by looking at my physicality? Okay. So your body, your heart rate, your endocrine activity, your muscle tone, they're constantly giving you hints. It's not just what your eyes and ears pick up. We have the added advantage over a lot of other mammals that we, when we intercept something, your prefrontal cortex will try to rationalize something or try to find meaning behind something. And you want your rational thinking to aid with your intuition and not block it because the prefrontal cortex does actually, I think a lot of people think that the prefrontal cortex doesn't help at all with intuition because they think, oh no, intuition is purely emotional, visceral, it is what it is. No, what actually is purely intensely emotional is fear, okay? Intuition will pick up hint, clue, 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 and then parts of your brain will be like, "Mm, interesting, let's raise an alarm. And that's where the prefrontal cortex may intercept and aid in this feeling of instinct. And that prefrontal cortex, if you haven't listened to my previous, the times where I've mentioned it before, that's your reasoning, it's your ability to think of 
um, consequences to your actions. It's your um, executive function, basically. That's what the prefrontal cortex, a lot of your personality actually comes from the prefrontal cortex. When you are purely doing something fear-based, that is coming from a part of the brain within the limbic system called the amygdala, but also other areas that link up. It's just not just the amygdala. And it's kind of fear, get the fuck out of here, run away or fight or do something to protect myself. That's the difference. So you're, the moment you can get – and that's why exercise and meditation is really good because with, for anxiety specifically – because it's allowing the prefrontal cortex, your executive function, your forward thinking to communicate better. You're linking those brain regions. You're enhancing connectivity between your limbic system and the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. You're getting more activity between those regions and you're able to calm down these really stressful, intense feelings and thoughts. So your prefrontal cortex aids in reducing your anxiety but it also aids in in tweaking and enhancing this instinct, okay, very quickly and at a very subtle level. So you're not not in the sense that you're like, right, now let's pull this apart and let's analyze, not necessarily in that way, but it's taking that information and thinking, yep, okay, I, I can do something with this information. So the next thing you want to be focusing on is using your rational mind to help you and not hinder you. So when it comes to anxiety, that's when you use your rational mind and you think, is this, you know, a normal thought? Is this a reaction to something that I've just read? Is this my fear, um, you know, trying to protect me from something that's going to cause me stress or more pain in the future and that way and I'm shutting down? That's where your rational mind can aid in limiting the anxiety. But you don't want it to get to a point where you're shutting down instinct in the sense of like, Oh, I felt this feeling and my mind was like, no, 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 you're being an idiot. You're being an idiot. Just follow through anyway, okay? So it's just learning to use that rational mind to shut down something that's a spiraling thought that's really intense. And when you feel this calming thought, you're more just listening to your body. You're not trying to counteract that thought. You're just listening. And that is the difference because it's okay to consciously listen and then you're more alert for more information that might be coming to you through your senses, through your subconscious mind, what your subconscious might be picking up versus you literally shutting it down and counteracting those thoughts. And lastly, just note that anxious thoughts and how you respond to anxious thoughts will almost always stem from wanting to feel safe, from wanting to be safe even if the behavior isn't doing you any favors in the long term. So sometimes ask yourself, is this behavior fueled by me feeling safe in the moment? So you avoiding something because you don't want to be in a social situation, for example, or instead, is this coming from a hunch, a unique feeling that I don't normally have that's drawing me to do something or to not do something? even though it might mean putting me in my, like pulling me out of my comfort zone. So sometimes instinct will make you do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. It pulls you out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it pushes you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. It pushes you to put yourself in situations where you're vulnerable. That is instinct. Anxiety would never make you do that ever, right? So it's this feeling of, I don't normally have this feeling where I'm being drawn to this place, but I'm going to give it a go. It, it's this idea of going down the path less traveled or it means 
doing something that I haven't normally done, but I feel compelled to do so. You will realize that the more you pay attention to yourself with the smaller things, the easier it's going to be to listen to your intuition moving forward. But remember, anxiety, more intense, it is a common feeling and it's normally around the same things. And your actions, whatever your anxiety is compelling you to do is to protect yourself and to always feel safe and kind of, in most cases, retreat back versus instinct. It's karma. It's unique. It doesn't happen often. It's more so in the moment in almost every case. It's in the moment of feeling of like "Mm, right now this situation here. And it may push you to do something to protect yourself, but it might also instinctively push you to go after something, to chase an opportunity or to be at a place at the right time or to speak to someone that you're nervous to speaking about. So intuition may be protective, but it also may be pulling you out of your comfort zone to benefit you. So that is the difference. Hopefully that's made it clearer and hopefully you're able to separate the two a little bit better because I know I spoke a lot in the last kind of 30 or so minutes. Guys, amazing. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all so much. We have a listener question coming up. Okay, time for the listener question of the episode. Hi, Alexis. I started listening to you after my third toxic breakup and I swear I've listened to every single one of your podcasts since and currently making my way down to your earlier ones. I appreciate you and you have really helped open my eyes to how others were treating me, allowed me to take accountability for my own actions and just helped shape who I am as a person now. So thank you. That's amazing. Thank you so much. My question for you is, do you think people can change? For a bit of context, My last relationship was toxic, and to be completely honest, it was toxic on both sides. I know I brought in a lot of my past trauma into this relationship, but it doesn't excuse how he treated me either. Long story short, we broke up and we were apart with no contact whatsoever for about five months. Then we met up, I heard him out, and we've been talking for about a month. He's saying all the right things and the actions have been good so far as well. I know I haven't grown and changed, but he identified himself as a narcissist and he said that he has changed as well and he wants me back. Is this a run for the fi- is this a run for the hills he's trying to manipulate you again moment or is this a I have major trust issues with this guy and I'm saying no because of that. I understand without trust there isn't much else. But I think I could actually work on that side of things within myself. I'm 30 and I'm a solo mum to someone else. And I've spent my time apart really finding who I was. And although I haven't figured that out completely, it's still something I'm striving for and working on every day. I am happy single. And if someone comes along, great. If they don't, fine. But I do still have feelings for this guy. And I'm wondering if it's the part of me that was addicted to the toxic cycle we were in. I hate that I'm questioning myself. I hope this makes sense to you because I am completely clueless. Thanks again for everything you do for the community. I don't have words to explain how much you've impacted my life. Thank you so much for writing in. Great, 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 great question. Okay, firstly... It's good that you can acknowledge that you brought, you, you know, it was toxic on both sides. I think self-awareness is great when you can reflect back on why relationship broke down. And I think it's also good that it's not an excuse for how you were treated either because it absolutely isn't. Just because someone's not treating you well, it's not an excuse to not treat someone else well. So you are correct on everything you've just said, in my opinion at least. One thing that I'm interested in is you say that he, he – 
labeled himself as a narcissist. He identified himself as a narcissist and he says that he has changed. Firstly, was he a narcissist? I've got, I'm sure you've listened to my episode on that. And do you agree? And if that is the case, I would be hard-pressed to find someone who is a narcissist who can change in five months. That it takes a lot of fucking work to even identify as a narcissist because being a narcissist in and of itself, it's very, very, very difficult to even admit that you are a narcissist unless you're trying to manipulate someone else to feeling sorry for you and taking you back. And you would likely need someone to kind of be guiding you through you um, no longer being a narcissist. You would need some a good fucking therapist on your side who is coaching you through this. So if he is a narcissist and he's not had assistance changing, I would be very, very surprised if he has changed in a five-month period. So I don't buy that. He's either not a narcissist or he is and he hasn't changed. That's the first thing. Another thing is if you truly are happy and you feel that you're growing and you genuinely are happy single, is it worth after the growth that you've had, is it truly worth returning to what was a toxic, as you label it, relationship? I don't think it is, in my opinion. The number one thing for you and for your child, but especially for you, is for you to have peace of mind. Nothing trumps peace of mind. If you are in a relationship that is toxic, if you are dating someone who you don't trust, whether it's because they have caused that crack in the trust or because you have trauma from past relationships and you're bringing that in and you don't trust anyone, regardless, if you don't trust and you've got a history of this toxic interaction with this person, do will you have peace of mind? Is that going to help you treat yourself the best way possible? Is it going to give you the best opportunities to grow in the healthiest and most peaceful way? No, it won't. So I would think very, very long and hard about entering a relationship with someone who I have a toxic history with, who is a self-proclaimed narcissist, and then you can decide if you also think is a narcissist or not, um, when on top of all of that you also state that you genuinely are happy being single. So I don't normally advise someone if they should return to a partner or not. I try and just give them as many um, points of view to look at the situation from, from every angle so they can make up their own mind. But given what you – based on what I know, which is obviously based on just what I read out, if I were you, I would not return. And it's not to say that he hasn't changed and it's not to say that he isn't, you know – that there isn't potential there, but I feel like you're doing a lot of work on yourself and the more you work on yourself, the more you're going to heal these, you know, past wounds that you have and it's that is best done in the most healthy environment possible. Do you think that dating this person again is going to provide you the healthiest environment possible? Yes or no? And I think you know the answer. Is your environment and your mental health and your peace going to be better with him or without him? And there's your answer. I feel, from what you've told me, that you'll have way more peace of mind without. But only you can answer that question. And once you have the answer to that question, you have the answer full stop. 
Hopefully that has helped you. I hope that, yeah, that you can, you know, look at it from every angle and analyze it in the best way possible so you yourself can continue growing because you've done a lot of growth. You're working on yourself. Don't fucking go backwards if you don't have to, okay? Keep fucking moving forward. And if this guy's going to help you move forward, great, more power to you. But I don't know. Anyway, love you guys. Love you so much. Thank you for listening to the episode to the listener question. Thank you for sending the listener question in. Also, if you guys have listener questions to send in, please just send it to info at dyfmpod.com. And that is where I receive all of them and I choose and I kind of work through them. I get heaps, but I try and the way I select them is, you know, I obviously try and work through them um, and look at the ones that are unique or something that I may not have answered exactly in the past before, but I do try and get to as many of them as possible, of course. Guys, love you so much. You are the best community ever. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.